Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome back to part two of the Stompcast. Michaela and I are wandering through Holland Park. It is a glorious day. It's absolutely beautiful here. I hope the sun's shining wherever you are. If it isn't, it's raining. Still get those boots on. Boots on. Go for a stomp. It's great for your body and for your mind. This is a special episode around World Earth Day. We really want, we really want to kind of delve into things that we can do and the reasons that we can actually be positive and take positive action and make real changes. So I'm hoping that if you've listened to part one, you'll agree that yes, we're highlighting key issues, but we're absolutely, hopefully, and I'm sure giving takeaways that we can all go and act upon in our own lives. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I hope you're enjoying the stomp. Yeah, I really am. It's, it's really genuinely a beautiful day. So it is a very beautiful lucky. day. Let's talk about your new book. Um, so first of all, let us know about you know, why you wrote this, why it was important. It clearly mm. is an area of, uh, well, it's literally your, it's what seems to be your <laughs> life mission to, to kind of tackle. Why do you think this book's important? And mm. just take me into some of the key topics you, you talk about. And maybe things that people really will, might surprise people or people might listen to and think, do you know what, that's something maybe I can get involved with. Mm. So my book is called It's Not That Radical, Climate Action to Transform Our World. Um, and it kind of came from a place of wanting to resist a bit of the kind of doom and gloom narrative that we have around climate and actually try and motivate people to fight for something. I think too often we can talk about what we're fighting against but not be framing what we're fighting for enough. And I think that it's actually way more motivating to be fighting for um, a better future or a transformed world than it is to just be fighting against the bad stuff. Um, and also just because I think it's so urgent that we do this, not only to just bring people on board, but also to like sustain people for the long run. If you, if you have some kind of motivation, something to look towards, um, you'll be in here for much longer. Um, but then also kind of tying back to some things we talked about earlier, it's, it's also about just like reframing what is and what isn't possible. I think a way that we um, kind of get stuck in the world as it is now and believe that we can't change it is because we're told that it's immutable, that this is always how things are going to be, that like suffering is inevitable and that this is how, this is the best that we can get. And I think that like resisting that narrative and, and also reframing what, what is actually outrageous, what, what is actually kind of radical in the sense of how the mainstream media talk about it is outrageous is the fact that we have governments that are like giving huge amounts of money to fossil fuel companies while they have their own citizens who are living in poverty. Um, and what is actually like ridiculous is that the majority of people in this world are unable to live like safe and secure lives while there's a really, really small percentage who have more than they'll ever be able to use in their entire lives or need in their entire lives. And I think that um, the asking for a world in which everyone lives in dignity and, and demanding that world um, isn't outrageous or ridiculous. Um, 
or radical in that sense. But at the same time, to get to that place, we have to go to the roots of the issue. And so it's this kind of duality of like, it's not that radical, but it also, <laughs> it also is that radical. In, in it's almost, sense. I feel like what you're saying is that the changes you know, what we're asking for, the outcomes you gave to yeah, yeah. That's the, this, the hazard of stomping. <laughs> I, I fell over the other day. I've had a few stacks actually on the stomping. It is, I, you know, I go around the country bringing you guys the best conversations, I hope, but I, I do sometimes end up injuring myself along the way. So we like our guests a bit, guests to be safe. Um, but I feel like what you're saying effectively is what we're asking for isn't actually that radical no. idea. I mean, most people agree that equality and mm. equity actually mm. uh, is very, very important. So we're helping people who who need help the most mm. and the, the, the resources aren't constantly pooled with the people that need it the yeah. least actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the radical aspect is that we, we, there needs to be such a, a shift in it, doesn't it? There yeah, needs and, to be and such a change. The definition of radical that like Angela Davis uses, so she was like a civil rights activist and abolitionist, um, which she is still, is just that radical just means taking things at the root. And that's the, the way in which it is radical in the sense that we do just need to like kind of grab the roots of the oppressive systems that are causing all these inequalities um, in our world and rip them up and kind of grow something else instead in which everyone is safe and looked after. Um, and that shouldn't be ridiculous. Like that should, I think that should, it's so bizarre actually that we live in a world in which we have normalized like ridiculous levels of suffering of people and has said that that's the best that we can have it. I just don't, mm. I don't, I refuse to accept that that's mm. true. So let's look at problem solution a bit here. So could you give us mm. a, a couple of examples where you've seen throughout your work that there's clear oppression people mm. some maybe some of it may be obvious and less obvious and also then uh, what you know what is the shift you know that root cause that we rip out the roots and we change mm. and replant something better mm -hmm. what is the kind of solution that you see so if we talk about the uk and if we talk about like a climate perspective so respiratory health so we're going to just talk about health because i know you're a doctor <laughs> um and i'm also a medic like respiratory health like breathing health lung health um is usually on tr on trends much much worse in communities of color than other communities and the black community in particular and the reason of that is not because like i think we talk about environmental racism people act as if it's like that pollution just follows black people around and that's not what happens it's about like the power of communities that's given to communities and where the kind of the things that cause this pollution are situated so in london in particular um so the biggest incinerator, um, one of the biggest incinerators in the UK is the Edmonton Eco Park incinerator. And that's put in Edmonton, which is a majority black um, area of London, um, where it has a higher than average population of black people um, who experience ill respiratory health more than other communities do. And, and that is like a disproportionate impact being felt by those communities. And it's not because the people who made the incinerator went and were like, I don't like black people, so I'm going to go put it there. It's because of like the power that that community has given over a community, say, right near this park where um, people have more wealth and more access to power. So the people that are putting the putting this incinerator in that area, it's also the people where they don't, the pe they've got the power who's put mm. there, put the incinerator, but yeah. the people who actually are going to live next to it, they don't have the power over no, the incinerator. Of, of, is that what you're saying? saying it's not going to be there. So for, for example, if they tried to build an incinerator, I don't know, in like Chelsea, very, in the middle, in Chelsea, of, Chelsea, in the middle yeah. of Chelsea. There well, actually be, here in Holland Park. Yeah, yeah, there'd, there'd be uproar from the local community who would use all their pooled resources from being able to like have more time to do these things or And their contacts as well. And their contacts as well to say no. And arguably is where the people of power live. Exactly. And so and so that's why it would end up not being there. And where why it ends up being put in these other communities is because it's deemed that they won't push back as much or they don't have the contacts, they don't have the, the time privilege. It's, it's not that these communities haven't been fighting back. There have been huge like campaigns done by these communities, but they don't have the same access to power in the sense of like, 
yeah, of contacts, of, of financial privilege that, that do actually determine where a lot of these things get put. And so it is, and it's also, it's not even just on like a UK level scale, it's on a global sense. There's um, areas that are literally termed as sacrifice zones in the world, where there are areas that are sacrificed in order for certain industries to continue doing their industry or whatever. And one of those areas is El Cerecon, it's a mine in Colombia, it's the largest open pit mine in Latin America. Um, and the neighbouring Wayu indigenous community, um, they are experiencing absolutely horrendous health impacts. Um, many Wayu children are dying prematurely. Um, their water gets poisoned by this mine. And the reason that they even this mine even feels like they can do that and not protect the community is because we live under a world in which some lives are deemed as less valuable than others. Um, where under the system of kind of white supremacy or whiteness, which is about power and it's about a way of knowing the world. It's not just about prejudice. Um, some communities are just deemed as less valuable and therefore willingly sacrificed by these kind of different financial systems or these different companies or these industries. And so it's important to recognise that that is kind of a reality, is that these communities, these ones that are given less, less power and have power like taken away from them, are the ones that are impacted the most by this crisis. But then also if, we, if, if we're thinking, okay, so the YU community in particular, their health is being made worse by this kind of exploitation by this extraction. How can we improve their health? We could give them some, you know, medication and try and improve it, kind of stick a band-aid on it. Or we could say, let's remove the thing that's causing the ill health in the first place, which is this giant open pit mine. Um, and and more than that, let's actually tackle the system that leads to a massive open pit mine being put in that area um, and causing that much harm to communities and seen as as okay, especially when those that community is, is the poorest community in Colombia and whereas the wealth from that mine is taken and held in in europe in in the global north um and so it's that's that's what i mean by like going to the root of the issue it's like how do we begin to change what, how we know things in this world and and the ways of knowing things that we currently deem as whether we actively do it or, or inactively do it as acceptable and, and one of those things is, is whiteness and another thing is of how do we why do we live in a world where sacrifice zones are even like a thing um, and how do we start reframing that and I think that part of that is is doing the kind of communications work of reframing it how do we make people think a bit differently and how do we change the, our perspective and that's one thing I talk about in the book is like how do we um, challenge the kind of common ground with which we all access from like we all kind of the common ground is this kind of aspect of the the world in which we all it's the knowledge that we accept is like common knowledge between all of us and whatever is in the common ground like all of us expect that we can draw from it how do we change what is within that common ground what is within that understanding what is within that common kind of commonality between all of us um, and i think that communication plays a big part of it and in removing kind of the respectability of a lot of these industries and, and these systems is is a big part of it um, but also in order to do that we kind of have to expose that there's an injury there in the first place and that's where I think a lot of the kind of disruptive actions or, or other things can also come into play as well but I realise you said a lot of things so no it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so fascinating here and you can hear so much of your of your passion I guess I know and, and I'd like to delve a bit more into again like you know, what can people do because I think mm, people listening okay. to this will immediately feel saddened because I think you know I'm a big believer I think most most people are good people most people want to do something mm -hmm. but I think sometimes they feel that they either can't yeah um, for various reasons you've actually covered one those that their, their voices mm. they feel that their voice isn't heard um, or they feel well, what do I do like it's mm -hmm. you know you can think well like, I've heard this like what do I do now so mm -hmm. you know we you know, if you're if you're listening to this you know 
uh, right now and you're feeling that way what what can someone do like for example like mm. you went what are you doing at the moment like what's yeah. your kind of uh, target and plan to kind of tackle this because I think mm. then people can hear that and go right well I, can I get involved or yeah. you know can, I'm inspired to do something do you know what I mm. mean I, I think you're, you're really right about the fact that I think people can feel quite overwhelmed by all of this and, and there's there's a chapter in the book called you don't know what you don't know and which is all about kind of the fact that like we need to be open to learning more and to be being wrong about things and to changing our opinions. And I think that that is, is so important. And I do think that changing our like perspective is one part of it. Make sure you sit down. Have a sit, have a sit. Come on, Rodo. You might jump in the middle um, of you. Come on then. There you go, you'll just slide down. We're taking a breather, everyone, because we're doing lots of laps. It's a warm day and uh, we're having a, a slight breather and a pause and a stomp. So even the hardcore stompers stop every now and then. Yeah, I, I think that changing perspective is, is one part of it, which is part of the reason that I decided to write the book. I don't think that it's just about perspective because I think, or just about knowing things. I think too often we can get kind of obsessed with knowing more than someone else. And I'm like, if you're not doing anything, then what's the, what's the point? Um, it's not just about becoming kind of better people. It's like, yeah. how do we have, I think like this kind of people talk about like good politics, but that, that sh the only thing that should do is move you to act and move you to do something different. And and for me, I mean, at the moment, I'm involved with a few different campaigns. There's, um, we're working, so the El Terrejon that I talked about before in Colombia, the open pit mine, um, the neighboring Wayu and Yukai indigenous community are harmed by those operations. And it's a company called Glencore, which is um, a massive kind of mining company. Um, and they have their operations kind of in the global south, in Colombia and other countries. Um, but their head offices are in the UK and in Switzerland. And so what we're trying to do is to work with these indigenous communities that are impacted and in solidarity with them to say like, we know that we aren't coming to save you. You've been acting on this for far longer than we have, but what can we do to, to help continue that fight here in the UK where the kind of the core of these companies are. And so we're trying to, in some way, like illuminate that as an issue for one, because there's a thing called a social license, which I think um, we don't really talk about enough. It's basically like these fossil fuel companies, I talk of them, they're like the kind of catfishers of companies and fa fast fashion companies are quite similar. Like they will present themselves as everything other than they actually are. Um, you'd be kind of forgiven for thinking that fossil fuel companies were just like renewable energy companies um, that, I don't know, love green things because that's the only marketing they put out when in reality they only spend like 6% of their budget on renewables. Um, so they misrepresent themselves. And I think that the reason they do that is because as people, we give these companies a social license. We don't realize we're doing it, but this social license is us basically saying they're not that bad, they're okay, or worse, that they're necessary. And when we give them this social license, it means that they can get things like subsidies from governments because no one's going to not vote for this party because they've done that or not vote for these people because they've done that. And so um, removing that social license is so important. And that's one way that we're doing with this campaign called Resist Glencore. Um, and also with Stop Cambo, which I, which I mentioned before as well, they have onboarding calls every other week. So I think they're a really great group to join um, if you have social anxiety, which I know a lot of people do, um, because a lot of the organizing happens online. So you can, even if you feel a bit nervous about maybe going to a group in your local area in person, um, this can be like another step that you can go to a Zoom call and you can meet some people. And I know so many people have made so many amazing friends from, from joining that as well. And so I think that we talk about action as if it's this like big sacrifice. Yeah. And I actually have gained so much joy in yeah. my life from, from being in these, in these groups and with people. Um, and I, I think I also want to say that um, there are so many different roles. Like 
there are so many different roles. My, my friend um, Tolly, she always says that like making a cup of tea is a role in a movement because sometimes people just need I the emotional that. support. I and love that. It's like, and I think some people think that you have to be this like big activist on the street, like shouting. And, and actually, if you're not the Greta yes, exactly. character, then you can't be one. But that's yeah, not true. That's is not it? true at all. I think that there are a multiplicity of roles. I, I often say that like people don't want to be the ones to like make the spreadsheets, but maybe someone's really great at being organised and that. And and there's it's kind of. Activism is like if you're running an event. I think people understand that maybe a bit more. It's like if you're running an event, you need someone to be the MC and sit on the stage and talking. But you also need people to like check people in. You need people to organise the finances to be able to fund this event. You Make need... sure we've got the sun cream and stuff yeah, outside. Like, exactly, generally, yeah. think about all those things. So well. many, and, and yeah. people who advertise it, creative people who can design posters. Like there are a multiplicity of roles, and they don't all have to be one way. And you don't have to want to do the most like extreme action in order to take action. I think that there are like so many wonderful ways that we can do things. And for like for me, a big way that I'm using the skills I already have is communication. Like I realise I'm good at talking. And so that's my skill that I'm kind of bringing to it. But I also have many other friends who are, I don't know, they're good at maths, so they do the finance part of it, or they're really creative and so they design posters or they design infographics or artwork um, about climate. And I think there are just so many roles and I I want people to realise that. Because almost part of it is that like the end goal, yeah, you're working towards something good, but actually, you know, again, going back to that point, I really think one of the biggest issues that we face, and I see, you know, in the world that I do in mental health, is people are not connected, people mm-hmm. are, are lonely, and like they feel, they feel that they're faced with challenges, like the energy crisis and the mm-hmm. financial crisis, the oppression, the, the climate uh, anxiety, but we're facing those problems at a time when we're less connected, arguably, mm-hmm. than, than ever. So actually by working towards something like this and joining, we'll leave a link in the, in, in the show notes and things uh, towards how someone can join. But you're, you're working towards something positive and good, but actually you might really enjoy like developing your skill sets, mm-hmm. things that you're good at doing, you practice, you know, and you, you meet new people and make awesome friends. I mean, it sounds to me like it's, yeah, because I, I must say before you kind of talk about that, I often think, oh my gosh, it must be really hard and like it's scary and you've got to be kind of quite tough cookie to do that mm. which I'm sure there are plenty of elements that is really challenging but actually it's really positive thing as well it can bring a lot of joy no for sure and I think I think that the joy is so important like I want to be doing this work when I'm in my 80s and I hopefully by that point we're in a very different and better world than hopefully now. you've got your feet up yeah, yeah. Now we've done a bloody good <laughs> exactly job. But, but, I st- but I also don't think that I don't think that by the time I'm 80, the, the, every single thing will be fixed. And so there will still be work to do, I think, I'm sure. There's always and work to do. There always will be to make... The world is a, yeah. work, it was a forever work in progress. And also, I, I don't want anyone, especially now, like it's not too late to make the world a better place for our fellow people. And I don't think it will be too late when I'm 80. But I hope that I'll still be doing that work. And the only way that I'll be able to do it is if I'm joyful while I'm doing it. And I think this focus or this like weird like obsession with simulating struggle I think is it's disrespectful to people who don't have a choice in struggling for one I think sometimes we think it's respecting them to to do that but I don't think it is and two it's going to lead to burnout I burnt out so badly a couple years ago just after the court case um, and the oil field and cop and all this other jazz and that experience really showed me that I'm not if I won't be able to do this work the rest of my life if I don't find joy in it and if I don't allow myself to enjoy the work I'm doing as well and and yeah and, and there is so much joy there it's not just about struggle it's there's so much more it's amazing well we're going to actually tap into some of your life lessons in part three so we're really going to delve into that so I think a nice point to kind of draw this part to close is just really hearing from your book the kind of 
you know, what are the, some of those key takeaways for, for anyone that's thinking about getting the book? It's being, what date is it published? Um, the 6th of April. 6th of April, so, so it may well be out by the point this, uh, you're listening, it'll be out by the, I'm confirmed with uh, Charlie, it'll be out. So the book is out now. So anyone thinking, gosh, yeah, I'm not quite tempted by the book. What is those final mm -hmm. key kind of summary takeaways that someone will get from reading a book? I think that the best that we can hope for is not this world continuing as it is or getting worse. I think that the reason why a lot of people also are maybe not as excited about taking climate action is that we're told the best that we can get is a worse version of this world and that that's what we're fighting for. And I think that that's not that motivating sometimes for people. I think that what climate justice kind of compels us to do is to create a better world where every person in this world is able to live in dignity and, and, and access joy um, where we are all like safely housed and we are not being like made unwell by a system like we are we are well and living in dignity and I think that's so exciting and I and I think the book the point of the book is to excite people into action and to make us realize that we are not doomed and um, it's not too late there's so much that we can do um, but also for us to we have to understand where we are now in order to work out where we go in the future and so it covers like going beyond white environmentalism what is capitalism and what are the problems with it and what if we could have something else what, what could we have um about collectivism and individualism and 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 so many other things and it ends on hope but there's a whole chapter on hope at the end um but not the passive sort kind of the active active stance <laughs> the active so, sign that kind yeah, of yeah. <laughs> i love that i'm excited into action i think is a great mm. uh, way of looking at it. it does really remind me of the work i do in mental health because i think a lot of the time we're told this really gloomy narrative around mental health. For the start of it, we're, we, we constantly make out mental health as a bad thing. And I think, do you know what's so amazing? And like, it's so exciting to care about this and to look after yourself, to, to you know, and for me to work with other people, amazing people in this area that are so passionate about it. And I, I enjoy it. Yes, there are times, I'm sure, where you know, you're banging your, your hand against your head because, you know, a certain mm. <laughs> group of people aren't making the changes you want them to. But generally speaking, it's an amazing joy to work, work towards mm. something you care about. So. I'm excited to to um, dive into the book, as I'm sure everyone will be. So make sure I'll share a link in my story, but also do check out the show notes, guys. Thank you so much. We've come to the end of uh, part two. And um, yeah, we're going to, in part three, really hear some of your life lessons. I want to hear some of the challenges as well. A little bit. We've talked about a lot of the positives of being an activist. Some of the challenges, I think, and how you deal with the risk of, of, of burnout. Uh, and also sometimes the pressures and scrutiny that activists are, are mm -hmm. placed upon too. So stick around guys for part three or if you can have a break and come back another day, sure, we'll see you soon.